Packers as we welcome in Will Birchfield. 91.7, the ticket in Detroit. Back to the big program, Will. Once again, your theme song, your intro song. You got to love it. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. That, I'm flattered to have that intro. Thanks a lot for having me back on. Yeah, I remember the last time we were talking about it and you said, you know, I've done a couple radio shows and they play that song all the time and I'm wondering, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. hey, figured it out, yeah. So you get that around, around uh, you know, the circuit and around where you do a few of these hits every once in a while? Yeah, I mean, it's my theme song in, in downtown Detroit now. Wherever I go, I walk out <laughs> Woodward Avenue towards LCA, and they play that song on the loudspeakers. <laughs> oh, cool, cool stuff. So uh, our St. Albert Dodge game of the day, of course, are the Red Wings and the Oilers tonight at Rogers Place. And the Oilers come in with a record of 30-17-1. and Detroit, 27-18-6, and right behind, just uh, you know, a couple of points back in the standings. But... You know, there's always turning points in seasons, and I was kind of doing, noticing a few of your social media posts on what's been happening in Detroit in the last, you know, week to 10 to two weeks or something like that. Can you just tell our listeners what you feel some of the turning points have been here uh, for the Wings to get things rolling again here? Yeah, well, it's funny because Derek Malone brought one up himself after they beat the Canucks on Saturday, and in that game, they were looking for a spark late in the second. It was kind of a lifeless performance so far, and it seemed like they were trending towards a loss against the best team in the NHL. And then kind of out of nowhere, five foot eight Alex DeBrinket on kids' day at LCA drops the gloves with Ian Cole and, and kind of gives the team a spark. And they come back in the third, score twice, win it in OT. And it turns out way back on December 29th when the, win, when, when the wings were in the throes of just a really bad month, it was to brink it again against the Predators that night who dropped the gloves with Roman Josie and sparked the wings to a comeback win. And after that game, Derek Lalone's young son texted him, that's going to be the turning point of your season. And Lalone kind of laughed it off as if to say, have you seen us play lately? <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. Well, since that first fight of the Brinkets against Josie back in December, the Wings are 11-3-2. Now, <laughs> we can't attribute all of it to, to Brinkett's uh, um, scraps. The Wings mostly have played much better defensively over the last month, and Alex Lyon might be the biggest reason why. This journeyman goaltender who all of a sudden is playing like one of the best goalies in the NHL, just another reminder that goaltending really is voodoo, and you, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get from really any guy besides those top proven guys in the league, like your Vasilevskis and Hellebucks and Jesterkins. Um, but the biggest difference for this team over the past month has been the, the defensive play on that side of the puck. And then Alex Lyon turning in a really, a number of really good performances. Let's go there next uh, with uh, Will Birchfield, 91.7, the ticket in, in Detroit. Alex Lyon with a 2.54 goals against average. What is it about his play that has, I guess, vaulted him into that uh, upper and next echelon with goaltenders uh, as far as success is happening in the NHL? Confidence, for one, and confidence often comes from circumstance. He wasn't projected to be this team's number one or number two. He was signed as an insurance policy, the number three, who would play behind Huso and Reimer. Now, Huso was injured in December. He missed some time. Reimer was struggling, and the time was right 
for Lyon to step in, and he began playing well, and he built up some uh, a well of self-confidence, and he's playing pretty quietly, and usually when goalies do that, they're playing well. He doesn't seem to be overreaching on saves. He's just letting the game come to him, and, and, and pucks seem to be hitting him right now, and he's in a groove, and the wings will ride him for as long as they can. Look, they know that this is not going to last. They don't expect first of all, to be playing Lyon almost every game, and second of all, for him to be playing like one of the three or four best goalies in the league. They, they still expect and will turn to Huso on this West Coast swing and certainly down the stretch. I still think their best team has Huso playing like the number one goalie he looked like in the first half of, say, last season. But look, when a goalie's hot, you ride him for as long as you can. I, I, Lalone hasn't said who will start tonight. I, I think he goes back to line just because he's delivered so many wins. But at some point, the wings will need, will need Billy Huso to step up and play like the goalie they expect him to be down the stretch. Will Birchfield, 91.7, the ticket in Detroit. Our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Patrick Kane returns uh, from injury uh, with the Red Wings. How would you assess how this whole fit has been with the Red Wings uh, with 20 games played uh, on the season for Patrick Kane. He's got 17 points. Uh, Your thoughts on how he's fit in here with the Wings? I think he's looked really good from the jump. I mean, even that first game against the Sharks back in December, I I thought he was noticeable uh, almost every time he had the puck. You can see he still has some some jump in his step. Obviously, he'll always have the the playmaking shop that he's become known for. But Patrick Kane told us that after that off-season procedure he had last summer, he expected to not only be back to to where he was maybe a year or a year and a half ago, but even closer to where he was in his prime. Now, those days are obviously behind him, but he he has made a difference for this team, a noticeable one, and and he's – he sparked their, their second power play at times, and this is a team that will need special teams to be a strength, both the PK and the power play, to stay inside the playoff race. Obviously, Kane makes a big difference on the power play, and the chemistry that he has and that he formed with the Brinkett from their Chicago days is real. Now, right now, he's not playing with the Brinkett. The Wings are going Larkin, Raymond to Brinkett. But when those two are on the ice together, power play or five-on-five, you can tell they play off each other so cleanly, so seamlessly, and, and they've already combined for some big moments so far. So I think that gamble has been worth it so far for the Wings. And Patrick Kane is, is living up to his word that he can recover the form that he showed towards the, towards the end of his career with the Blackhawks. Will Birchfield, our guest on Sports 1440, you did mention the special teams for the Wings, uh, 12th-ranked power play, 11th-ranked PK. Have you noticed a lot of difference when Kane is out there on the power play, Will, as opposed to when he has not been out there on the power play? Well, I think the biggest difference you notice is that when the puck comes to Kane, the game seems to slow down for a minute. And even, even the opposing players are sort of on edge. He usually operates... Um, from from the circles, and when the puck finds him and he starts to think about where it's going to go and where he wants it to end up, the game does seem to slow down for him, and he's, he's often looking to thread that backdoor scene pass, um, whether it's Joe Valeno back there uh, or others. He, he's a, a threat, 
anytime he gets the puck on his stick. So if you watch him tonight on the power play, and this is true of Kane over his entire career, when he has a chance to make a play, the game slows down for him. And for others, it, it, it might put them on edge. You know, lots of talk with the Morgan Riley situation, and it has a big bearing on Detroit because you guys, the Wings and, and the Maple Leafs are neck and neck, and you saw this firsthand, Will, in the sense of what happened with David Perron. So what's the feeling, I guess, from a perspective on a Detroit angle with what's going to happen to Morgan Riley today? Yeah, you know, I don't know how invested the Wings are or, or even the Wings fan base is in, in the outcome mm-hmm. for Morgan Rowley. I, I think the Wings, based on how some of the discipline has been handled in regards to Dylan Larkin, probably don't expect a whole lot. I mean, Dylan Larkin has been involved over the past couple of years in, in three or four incidents that at face value you thought would have resulted in suspensions and and possibly multiple game suspensions. I mean, I think back to the incident with Jamie Benn, when they took a cross-check to the neck, even the most recent one um, with with the Senators in front of the net, and and really nothing came out of that. So I I don't know uh, how high of a standard that this fan base or even that organization holds the NHL Department of Player Safety to. I feel like they feel like they've been let down a few times. So I don't know what they expect to come of the Riley incident, but I don't think they'll be shocked if the discipline is less than than maybe some others think it might be. Will Birchfield, 91.7, the ticket in Detroit, is our guest on Sports 1440. With the trade deadline coming up here in March 8th, how much tinkering do you think general manager Steve Eiserman does with his hockey club, Will? It's a great question, and for the first time in seven years, I feel like the Wings, at the very least, won't be sellers. And look, they still have to prove to Eisenman that this team is worth keeping together. As you mentioned, still some work to do ahead of March 8th. And if they slip, as they did last year ahead of the deadline, they do have a lot of attractive potential rentals, beginning with Patrick Kane, also Perron, also Oli Mata, a lot of guys who are proving Stanley Cup playoff contributors, Stanley Cup winners. And so if if they stumble over the next month or or even the the week and a half or two weeks ahead of the deadline, Iserman, I don't think, will hesitate to sell. Look, this team is still in the middle of a a rebuild, and the standings might indicate otherwise, but they're still trying to catch the wave of the prospects they have coming up and adding them to the core that's headlined by Larkin and Sider and Raymond and others on the way. And, and so the burden of proof is on this team to stay in the mix and at least convince Iserman to stand pat. If they do end up being buyers, and this is from Lalone last week, you know, he said they, they'd be looking to add another versatile forward. They love what they've gotten so far out of guys like Kopp and, and Rasmussen and Kopp for guys who can kind of play the center for the wing. Kopp and Rasmussen along with Christian Fisher have formed one of their most consistent lines recently. They'd, they'd like to fortify that depth up front. Um, but if they do buy, I think there'll be marginal moves. They won't be sacrificing first, even second round picks. I don't think they won't be sacrificing or putting on the table their top prospects. But the burden of proof is on this team to stay in the mix to, to convince Eisenman to at least keep this team intact. Hey, Will, what do you think is going to happen with his 
contract negotiations with Mo Sider, who comes up next year. We've seen even earlier on, like, I mean, not even waiting till the ELC is up, GMs sign younger defensemen, younger players to long-term contracts. We've seen it before. It hasn't happened yet with Sider. What do you think shakes down there? Yeah, I think this summer both he and Raymond get long-term extensions. Yeah, obviously a, a bridge deal for either one would still be in play, but I think by the end of that bridge deal, the Wings will only cost themselves more money. I think both those guys, Raymond especially, are on a clear upward trajectory this season. And look, the cost of locking up a number one defenseman like Sider is only going to increase as his production does the same. I think that Eisenman looks to get Sider locked up on, on an eight-year deal this summer, and, and it's probably going to come in eight and a half, nine, and, and potentially more if he really ups his offensive game down the stretch and potentially into the playoffs. And for Raymond, maybe a bridge deal is a little more realistic for both sides. But again, these are the guys that comprise the core that Eisenman wants to build around. So I think it would behoove him and behoove the players to, to come to a long-term agreement this summer. Will Birchfield, 91.7, the ticket in Detroit's our guest as we are previewing our St. Albert Dodge Game of the Day, Red Wings and Oilers tonight at Rogers Place. Last year, Will, in Edmonton, clean cost and had a sensational year. He was a fan favorite. He did it all. He got in, he scrapped, he scored, he was a big body. Why hasn't he been able to, I guess, gain any traction in Detroit this year? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the fan base was really excited to see what Costin would add to the lineup. This is a team that self-admittedly lacked some toughness and snarl last year. And Costin comes in early on, and he's throwing haymakers and dropping the gloves. And, and the, the, the team, and I, I think the fan base was ready to rally around him. He was injured here and there. And I think the biggest impediment for him has just been the depth that the Red Wings have up front that they haven't had in my seven years covering this team. I mean, put it this way, the Wings last year only had seven players who scored 10-plus goals, which was the fewest in the NHL. This year they already have 10, which is the most in the NHL, and they've really relied on that depth of scoring to propel them into the spot they are now. And I think Costin at at some points has just – kind of been left out by the math of only having spots for 12 forwards and the Wings feeling like they probably have more than that that are deserving of being in the lineup. So, look, one way or another, Costin is going to have an impact on the season. I think as the ice shrinks and the games get meaner down the stretch and, again, maybe into the playoffs, he's a guy that will make himself known. I also think that he and Christian Fisher at times have played a similar role and, and with – like I said, the way that Fisher has slid into that third-line role with Kopp and Rasmussen, maybe there's some redundancy between he and Costin that has left Costin on the inside, on the outside looking in. Um, but I, I do think he'll make himself felt. But this is a harder lineup to crack this year than it has been in a long time. How big was that overtime win on Saturday against Vancouver, and how much play did the uh, Jake Wallman gritty get? <laughs> it got signed. And that was the first time that he was able to break it out at home. He's had a couple winners on the road where he's rocked the gritty, but first time at home. And he said it was cool afterwards because he's actually about to launch an initiative that's going to benefit the Boys and Girls Club here in Detroit that features, uh, that has a tire 
that features the, the silhouette of Wallman doing the gritty and all the proceeds will benefit the Boys and Girls Club. So it was good timing in that regard. Also good timing in the respect of this team is about to go on what Wallman himself called a season-defining road trip. Now, maybe it's a little early to say that here in February, but they hit the road for five games against some of the best teams in the league out West. And mm-hmm. they do so with some wind in their sails because that was their first game in 10 days. They had the all-star break rolled into the, the bye week So they, they needed to kind of feel themselves, regain the momentum that they had entering the break. And they did that in a big way. Again, it felt like a game they would lose when they squandered seven straight minutes of power play time and then promptly allowed an out-of-the-box goal to ex-Red Wing Philip Peronik. They're down 3-1 in the third, but again, depth of scoring, strong scores to make it 3-2 on a great pass from Kane. They get the tying goal from Rasmussen in that third line. And then Wallman, look, he's, he's, he's a big game player. I don't know if a lot of people know his name yet around the league, but he's a guy who's playing big-time minutes in the top pair, with Sider, and he's sixth mm-hmm. in the NHL among defensemen in goals this year with 11, yeah. tied with Josie and Drew Dowdy. And anytime as a defenseman you're in the same sentence as those guys, you're obviously doing some things right. Well, it is a tough trip for the Wings tonight in Edmonton, Thursday in Vancouver, Saturday in Calgary, and then holiday Monday. Uh, an afternoon start in Seattle. So uh, maybe Wallman is right. This is a, a four-game road trip that is maybe season-defining for Detroit. Really want to thank you for your time, Will. Uh, and you know what? Just keep that song going, Detroit Rock City, man. Got to love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hey, all I need now is for them to play it during my Fear League hockey games on Wednesday night when I take the ice. It well, would really be talking. We'll try Well, it should be your goal song. Why not? Your goal song. <laughs> Well, I got I got to score a couple goals. First. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, to get the goal song incorporated, you have to score. Yeah, are exactly you, right. Are you a forward defenseman? What do you play? I'm a forward, uh, and then our, our our squad's on a bit of a heater here, so I got to knock on wood. But we're coming up in the playoffs and hoping that uh, we can, we can snag our first beer league championship in our in our four year <laughs> existence. Hey, just one quick one, Will. I think I saw something about you were talking about outdoor rinks in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, what, what's yeah, all behind well, so that? There used to be around Detroit. There, there was 12 or 13 of them. And when Detroit fell on hard times, there just wasn't enough money to maintain them. Hmm. And all but one of them were shut down and eventually bulldozed. But the one that still stands in Clark Park, which is actually in the middle of Mexican town of all places in Detroit, holds an annual outdoor tournament every winter, which will be kicking off here in about two weeks' time. But hmm. um, look, nothing better than than playing hockey outdoors in the elements with the snow coming down under the gleam of the ambassador bridge, which leads to Canada. So um, one one of the great gems of of downtown Detroit, and and we're we're proud that, that, that it's still in operation to this day. Well, that's cool stuff. And hopefully, as you said, Detroit with some hard times, hopefully the city's rebounding. You know, everyone's humming along with the the Lions. And if the Wings can get going here, who knows? Tigers as well. I mean, it's a great sports town and all the teams are going. So uh, thanks for doing Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I think think the NHL is a better league when when the team in Hockey Town is playing well. So um, I think everyone is is, is kind of getting behind the Wings playoff push. Yeah, you better believe it. Hey, Will, thanks for your time uh, and enjoy watching the game tonight. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.